Welcome to Not Artificially Sweetened, a weekly podcast where we reflect on all things diabetes. Your hosts are specialist physician Stan Landau and diabetes specialist nurse Michael Brown. We are passionate about using our talents to change lives for the better. Our mission is to build bridges of insight and understanding between people with diabetes and the health professionals that facilitate their care. Nothing is off the table here as we discuss real people, their real issues and stories, and together discover real answers to many vexing practical issues in diabetes and its management. And we're back with episode number 35 of Not Artificially Sweetened. As usual in the studio with me, Dr. Stan Landau. Hi, Stan. Hello, everybody. So, Stan, you've had the luxury of taking a day or two off, and uh, I'm sure you're feeling a lot better for it. Very much invigorated. Thank you, Michael. Spent time preparing and polishing up on the content that we're going to be presenting at the CDE Forum next weekend here in Johannesburg. Lots of interprofessional learning. And in fact, that will come up with our expert guest in studio with us today, this theme on education for healthcare providers and why that's so important in the provision of diabetes care. I'm looking forward to that meeting. It's our 25th meeting. So we've been going a long time and throughout the history of the forum, we've always tried to stay one or two steps ahead of the latest trends in terms of knowledge and insight. But I think under your leadership this year, Stan, we're bringing an added insight of how we produce education, how we get it across. And I'm really looking forward to the outcome of that. Stan, last week we talked about keeping in contact with your diabetes care team in a very preventative, regular, routine way. I thought this week we'll carry on in that vein, but talk more about emergency contact. So when and how to do that. One thing that's characterized the CDE network throughout South Africa over the last nearly 30 years is that all our branches are mandated to provide a 24-hour telephonic emergency hotline service. And these have extended the reach of our medical home, bringing 24-hour access to emergency diabetes care and advice to CDE members in communities across South Africa. Through these services, we've prevented many thousands of hospitalizations for acute complications of diabetes. We've also saved many lives, people who've maybe suffered an acute event like a stroke or a heart attack, and we've managed to facilitate the quick calling of emergency services and getting them to advance care as soon as possible. But it's important to understand that the success of an emergency service that operates 24 hours a day depends on a couple of things critical to the success of a 24-hour hotline is that the people using it must be educated and their families, and they must be prepared for such emergency calls with all the necessary information, blood glucose readings, and the devices that you may be having a problem with at hand. And then you've also got to understand what actually is an emergency. Many people sit on a problem for two weeks. Maybe their blood glucose has been running at levels of 18 to 20 for the last two weeks. Now it's 21. That seems to cross a threshold and then they want care. So please call earlier rather than later. Michael, I think you've hit the nail on the head. And when you speak about calling early, a couple of scenarios that commonly present themselves in clinical practice. The first is the person who's receiving chemotherapy and much of modern day chemotherapy is based on the receiving of cortisone, usually in high doses, both as chemotherapy itself and as a very powerful anti-nausea treatment. But the cost in inverted commas to that is a dramatic increase in blood glucose levels. And whilst people are often told that that's an expected outcome, ooh, you can expect your sugar to rocket up. People who haven't had that experience yet are often dramatically surprised at how high the glucose can go. 
I'm talking into the 20s, 30s, and even into the 40s, usually immediately within two hours after receiving this treatment, usually by drip form. And it's a very common reason why people will touch base with our clinic, mm. at least, and probably around the country in the emergency setting. It follows on then that people who receive cortisone treatment, usually for orthopedic matters, perhaps you've had a bad back and you've just come out of the x-ray department having had cortisone, you've had cortisone into your knee or into your backside for an allergic reaction. That's a second commonest reason we see it. And they both demand treatment, usually with the introduction of insulin in people who aren't on insulin or an intensification of insulin treatment in people who are already on insulin. And that's surprising because people say, well, you know, I was told to keep an eye out for it and it's not so bad. Well, the thirst, the hunger, the urination, the feeling lousy, the blurry vision, the tingling in the toes, that all can occur quite quickly after high, high glucose levels are really distressing for many people. And it's a key reason to call in and get that help you need. We can start insulin treatment perhaps for three, four, five days. Let that cortisone wear out of the body, so to speak, and we're ready for the next round should that be needed. So I think your message is loud and clear. And we exist to prevent hospitalization. We understand that if someone has very low blood glucose or very high blood glucose, maybe feeling nauseous, the initial instinct is to run off to hospital and seek help there. But the problem is that most casualty doctors are not trained specifically in the management of diabetes, and they would err on the side of what they see as caution and arrange an admission, which in many cases is entirely unwarranted, unnecessary, and extremely costly for the use of scarce medical resources. So if you part of a diabetes care team, they should be offering you a 24-hour emergency service. Make sure you know what that number is, and always contact your diabetes care team first for any problem that you may be feeling and they will give you the advice. They will say, yes, this is diabetes related or not and we can help you or no, I think it's a good idea for you to get off to casualty now, but at least you've spoken to someone who can help keep you as well as possible in the community. We'll carry on a little bit more about this next week. I mean, you have handled thousands of calls over the years that you've manned the hotline. Many. Kudos to those staff at our own clinic and around the country, those dedicated people who man these lines 24-7. Mm. I always imagine people calling in after Christmas Day lunch and saying, hey, I overdid it. <laughs> you know, my sugar's X, Y, and Z. With the advent of YouTube and those kinds of phenomena, I've even been able to help a person over a 24-hour period. Here's a good YouTube video worthy of watching. How deliberately to give yourself insulin while you're in Mauritius. Get to the pharmacy. This is how you give it and a wonderful thing. So an excellent message in terms of emergency contact with your diabetes care team. Right. So moving on to our studio guest for this week, we're very pleased to welcome into the studio Alicia Lalbihari. She's a very passionate podiatrist, and I can say that because we've had quite a few long chats in the recent weeks, and she has a deep-rooted commitment to enhancing foot care, health, and overall well-being. Alicia recently completed our foundation course in diabetes care for health professionals. We'll talk to her a little bit about that. And she also practices in Ladysmith, KwaZulu-Natal. There's a lot to unpack. So firstly, welcome to our podcast, Alicia. I know you've been looking forward to it, as have we. And how did you get into diabetes? What's driven your passion in this area? Thank you so much for having me. Well, I think diabetes comes with the job of being a podiatrist because we deal with a lot of people who live with diabetes that have a lot of lower limb complications. So I guess it's part of the job. But I have felt quite a, not a, I wouldn't say it's a calling, but quite passionate about treating people with diabetes because a lot of them don't understand the importance of involving a podiatrist in their healthcare team because they just haven't been educated about it or they're not near a podiatrist or they just don't know what a podiatrist is. And mm -hmm. yeah, so it comes with the job. 
Something that I don't think many people understand is that a podiatrist is a lower limb medical professional. Maybe just tell us a little bit about that, because we always think podiatrists look only after the feet. So maybe just talk to us about the lower limb and the lower limb involvement in diabetes and possible complications that you may be able to spot along the way and thereby just paint your role within the wider diabetes care team. So yes, so a podiatrist is a lower limb medical professional and we assess, manage and treat conditions associated with the lower limb. So that's from your hips all the way down to your toenails. And yes, a lot of people think we just cut toenails and that is a good job or it's a fun aspect of my job, but it's not the only thing I do as a podiatrist. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to people living with diabetes, sometimes you get someone who's got excellent control and they don't have any complications. So they're like, okay, so why should I see a podiatrist? It's just about getting that screening so that we can teach you about possible risk factors that could actually come about. So what is a risk factor? A risk factor is considered anything that's not supposed to be there. So that could be a simple thing like a corn or a callus, a fungal nail infection, an ingrown toenail. Because people living with diabetes if they have a condition known as peripheral neuropathy, which is nerve damage, and they have an ingrown toenail, they might not feel the severity of that ingrown toenail and just think, you know, it's just a nail that's growing funny, because they don't perceive pain as someone without diabetes does because of that complication with the nerve damage. And they could leave it for months and months on end until they look at the toe and it's actually swollen and infected and just not very happy. Then they're like, oh, okay, now I need to go see my GP. Not to hate on GPs, but when your GP looks at it, with my experience, some of them just prescribe antibiotics and think that's going to help. And it really doesn't, because unless we remove that nail that is now ingrowing and causing that infection, the infection might just get better for a few days and then comes back. Yeah. So a lot of people don't necessarily understand what risk factors are and where podiatrist comes into play. Us as lower limb medical professionals see a lot of different things with people living with diabetes that they even didn't understand was something that could potentially lead into an ulcer or if they don't get those ulcers sorted out, they have the risk of an amputation or something like that. Right. So just to put it in context for people with diabetes listening, why is diabetes associated with possible complications of the lower limb? And we always talk about it as being potential because they don't have to happen. And that's the main thrust of good diabetes care is that we aim to reduce the risk of these complications as much as possible. But essentially, if your blood glucose, blood pressure, serum cholesterol, and other risk factors that we commonly look at are not managed effectively, we end up with damage to the blood vessels, both the big arteries and to the small capillaries supplying the tissues in your feet with blood and oxygen and taking away the waste products through the veins. And then we also get damaged to the nerves. And then, of course, if we've damaged both the nerves and blood supply, we can end up with damage to the bones, to the ligaments, tendons, muscles, skin. And that's where you come in. So it's just to give that background so we understand why these things happen and why maybe just giving an antibiotic for a red toe may not always deal with the problem. 100%. Because it may be a high blood glucose problem. 100%. There's a lot more hidden factors to just giving the antibiotic. Giving the antibiotic can assist for that time, but the person would need to see someone like a podiatrist just to help them with that specific problem. And then also to identify, do they have blood flow problems? Have they been diagnosed with peripheral neuropathy? If not, your podiatrist can actually perform tests clinically to assess your blood flow and to assess your nerves to check, okay, yes, this patient has vascular problems. This patient has um, nerve problems.
problem. So what's the next step in preventing something like this from happening again? What sort of prevention do they need to understand, to learn? Maybe they need a referral to a vascular surgeon if they have a really serious vascular problem and things like that. So we work well with our GPs because let's say, for instance, we see a person in our rooms with this ingrown toenail that's very infected, and we can't necessarily prescribe antibiotics currently in South Africa as podiatrists. So we work hand in hand with the person, medical caregiver, so that the person can get the antibiotics that they actually need, as well as the treatment to actually solve the problem and prevent it from happening again. While I'm sitting here listening to this, this comes to mind. We talk about these microvascular complications, small blood vessel diseases and diabetes. If you are going to look in somebody's eye as a healthcare professional, you need a particular piece of equipment called an ophthalmoscope to literally look into the eye. Fair enough. If you're going to assess somebody's kidney, you have to do a blood test and we look for the filtration rate of the kidney. But the lowest of the lowest hanging fruit with the greatest return on investment to prevent a complication from diabetes attracts no cost at all. Get your shoes and socks off at the time of the assessment you're going for your diabetes. It costs nothing. You don't need anything except the eyes of the healthcare practitioner, hopefully a podiatrist on board, in order to salvage chronic lower limb complications that ultimately may end up in amputation. So, Alicia, your social media pages are lit up with education. It's always better to have an education up front to prevent these risks, to identify them. How many podiatrists work in the neighborhood you work in, in that kind of middle portion of KZN? So currently I'm the only female podiatrist in Northern KZN. And that's quite scary to think about because there's a big need for podiatry, but we're a very small bunch, but we've got a big impact in the country. You could argue that the impact is immense, just getting the shoes and socks off. And Michael, in the time I've been involved in diabetes care medicine, the one thing that has changed dramatically is the rate of lower limb amputations. We're seeing far more sophisticated eye complications like diabetes, macular edema, partly because we have better tools to identify it. Kidney disease being identified earlier, we've got wonderful new medications to arrest and in some cases reverse that. But mm. the biggest impact has actually been in reducing amputations. So my message for people with diabetes and for people who look after care for people with diabetes is if you haven't had your feet assessed at the time a year has gone past, you actually need to demand that of your healthcare team. Sure. So, uh-uh, we're not leaving until somebody's had a look, look between the toes in that sense. Alicia, are you involved in education for podiatrists in your greater South African context over and above people with diabetes? So I'm actually the branch chair for KZN for the Podiatry Association of South Africa. So we take pride in educating people, not just people living with diabetes, basically everybody else of foot health education. Why is your feet important? I mean, if we don't care for our feet and you don't have feet, your life can really be impacted. And that's what people really don't understand. Our feet are not that cared for unless you have a foot problem and you have foot pain and then someone goes to someone else or they go to another healthcare professional. They just don't know who to go to. So education is key with enlightening people of where we fit in to a healthcare team and how we can essentially help them. For any listener who doesn't really understand how qualified and how specialized a podiatrist is, you do about a six-month course, is that correct? Six months? I wish, gosh. <laughs> I- <laughs> Tell us, tell us, convince us of how specialized you are and that you are indeed a registered medical professional specializing in the feet. Tell us a little bit more about that. I actually had this question on one of my TikTok videos after everything that's been happening recently in South Africa with healthcare professionals being on TikTok. And they were like, are you actually a real, I wouldn't say doctor because we're not called that in South Africa, Mm -hmm. but he was like, are you a real like healthcare professional? And I was just like, honestly, Google me on the HPCSA register and I'm there. 
So in South Africa, what's really unique about our profession is that there's only one university in the entire continent of Africa that offers this degree, and that is the University of Johannesburg, which is insane if you think about it. The entire continent of Africa, one university. Absolutely. And I think I can be mistaken. They take about 40 people a year into the course so that it's very limited. And there's not a lot of podiatrists coming out all the time compared to other medical fields. So that I think would be a great idea to have more universities. But what makes us unique? We have one university in South Africa. It's a four-year Bachelor of Health Science degree. And we do a lot. In first year, you do chemistry, physics, everything podiatry related, clinical studies. And then in second year, what I really liked was we did anatomy. So we actually got to do dissection, which a lot of people don't really think we did because they're like, you're not a real profession. Like, what are you doing? So no, we did dissection. And that, I think, changed my mindset about the profession itself, because a lot of people don't mm -hmm. understand that we do quite a bit of studying in university. We have clinics that run out of the university. We have a podiatry clinic that's there for the surrounding area for people to come through and receive some podiatry care. We also go into hospitals and we start working in hospitals, if I'm not mistaken, from third year mm. because we need hours, we need patient numbers. Same as how any other medical professional is. We actually work in hospitals. We get shown, okay, this is what a hospital environment is. And this is the type of patients you get to see. I think working in a hospital setting is something very different to private practice. Very, very, very different. I personally saw a lot of different cases to a point where a lot of patients might have been neglected if they haven't seen a podiatrist. Sometimes people just amputate. They don't care to take the time to understand the person themselves. Like, is there underlying vascular issues? Is there underlying neurological issues? Maybe their, their glucose readings weren't very controlled. What exactly caused this ulcer? Was it the way that they were walking? Is it a pressure ulcer? Is it their shoe wear? Is it something that might have actually just caused this that we could have addressed to prevent an amputation from taking place? Correct. Just wound care. If a patient had a pressure ulcer, for instance, and they had good vascular, they had good neurological tests or results and things like that, and all they needed was just proper wound management, offloading techniques, and then just prevention or education of how you can stop this from happening again, could have prevented someone from having an amputation. You know, sometimes when you see these patients and they're like, nope, I just had an amputation because that was the easiest thing. And I know costing and stuff like that does take into play, especially in a government setting. It might be the thing that they choose because of costing or whatever they had that sent them to having an amputation. But utilizing podiatry, if you have a podiatrist in your hospital or near your hospital in your area, could have prevented a person from getting an amputation. And it's quite sad seeing cases like that. It makes me consider this, and I'm no health economist, that on a rand-for-rand -rand basis, it's probably more cost-effective having care provided by a podiatrist up front. Mm. Because this is what I'm imagining, and I don't think it differs if you are looking after somebody who's going back to a house near Winterton, not far from where you are, or if you're going to a house in Bryanston, not far from where we work. Once that amputation has happened, the adverse impact on that person's quality of life and their enhanced mortality is exponentially worse. So whilst the foot has been cut off to save the life, recognize that in dire circumstances, the adverse impact that that's going to have forever on that person, their family, mm. and the extended family is profound, which makes me think of this, Alicia. You haven't told us about the psychology behind all of this because you're seeing somebody who's come in anxious. Perhaps they have a smelly wound on their foot. They're embarrassed about that. It's been there for a long time. Sure. They haven't received the kind of care that they need. 
Tell us about mood matters and where podiatry fits in and allaying those concerns and fears with the person who, God forbid, is thinking, listen, you know, next week, Tuesday, my foot's coming off. Tell us about that. So that's actually quite interesting because in university, we actually, as in any medical profession, we do a little bit of psychology in our course. But I actually had a person come through and the wound wasn't terrible. I think what they were more nervous about was what they had Googled and what could potentially happen. And that just caused them to get very anxious, very stressed and very nervous about coming to someone like me thinking that I'm just going to, nope, we're sending you for an amputation. And when the person came in as a podiatrist or with me personally, I like to understand the person as a whole, not just look at their feet and just be like, okay, you have an ulcer, cool, let's just see what's going to go on and goodbye, we'll see whenever we need to see you for your next It's more about understanding the person, not only the problem, because this person's life has changed. They're quite worried. They're quite stressed. They're going to think now, can I work still if I have an amputation? Can I do normal things? Can I be with my family members? And what we need to do is just have a little chat about them, hear them out, and then assess the actual wound, assess their vascular, assess their neuro, assess the actual problem, and then just help them understand what their treatment plan is going to be like. And say, okay, if the worst case scenario is amputation, trying to make the person understand is quite difficult. And I think we then need to bring in a psychologist as well, because they are more qualified to help the person understand that. But when a person has to come in and has an ulcer, I think it's just understanding the person, not only the problem, and trying to almost make them feel comfortable and help them say, no, but don't Google everything. Google's not the answer for everything, rather not. And I think in this course that I've taken, understanding the psychology behind it was a really good eye opener, because the course went into depth, not just touched on it, but went into depth about how to deal with a person who has diabetes that might come to you with complications. What do you actually do? Two comments. Firstly, I want to just create a link with what Stan said in our podcast last week, that context matters. And I think you brought up something so important that the foot of the person with diabetes is attached to the person with diabetes. And that person with diabetes is embedded in a family and a community and in a nation. So context always matters in care. And of course, podiatry in the community is focused really on prevention rather than treatment. If we can prevent the need for wound care, prevent the need for amputation, I think you would agree with me that would be the best outcome. 100%. And then thanks for bringing up the course that you did. You recently completed our foundation course, which is a comprehensive course aimed to provide people working in the diabetes space with an overall foundational view of what's needed to affect better team-based, person-centered, preventative, community-based diabetes care. So tell us a few of your main learnings from the course, not necessarily in terms of facts, but in terms of the approaches that you learned, the insights that you gained. That course has changed everything as a practitioner working with people who have diabetes because you went so much in depth and not just in a educational point, But the way the course is structured, the way the lectures are structured, the way you actually want us to engage with the content is different. The course almost is more on a practical base to understand everything as a whole, not just for me as a podiatrist to look at the feet, but to understand everything about diabetes, using the different healthcare practitioners, how to inject insulin. I mean, I didn't know how to inject insulin. Mm. And now because of the course, I know how to inject insulin and which needle lengths to do. And if you don't inject the needle properly, what happens? And what happens if you do inject it properly? And all of that that comes with insulin and all of these things. I did not know that. 
that. And that's a big thing, right? Because patients can ask me, they can come and say, you know what, Alicia, I've been injecting my insulin wrong. And now I have the knowledge to say, okay, are you using this length of needle? How are you injecting yourself? Where are you injecting yourself? You know, all of those things so that I, as a practitioner, can advise a person better and treat them holistically as well. So I really enjoyed it. Oh, good. That's wonderful to hear. And it seems that you now understand your place within the wider diabetes care team. And in addition to providing foot care education while you are working on someone's lower limb, you can also pick up things that may be causing the foot problem, but are not necessarily within your personal ambit as a lower limb professional. And you can refer. 100%. I mean, something as simple as their diet could be causing fluctuations in their glucose levels that could now be potentially delaying wound healing. And if I didn't ask them, how's your diet? When last did you check your sugar levels? How's your HbA1c? Mm. I could just be blinded by the fact, okay, this wound is not healing. Why? I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing, but the wound is still not healing because I'm not looking at the person holistically or as a whole. I'm just focusing on the feet. And something as simple as asking about their diet and then referring them to a dietitian to correct that can assist me in my job. Mm. I mean, there's nothing outside the scope that a podiatrist can't inquire on. And as you said, access the wider team. There's nothing outside my domain that I can't examine a foot and have a podiatrist have a look. And it's wonderful when you look at Alicia's social media pages. I'm smiling as I say this because you've got a post here that says, and the facial expression captures it, me describing how I feel when people think podiatrists suddenly cut toenails. <laughs> Absolutely fascinating. That's exactly the perception that still occurs. And the other one, and this is very important, I just want to find it here. Yes, I do pay attention to the way people walk in public. <laughs> Why is that important? My running shoes, you know, my wife will come on Father's Day and say, you know, time for new shoes. You've rubbed out the insides. And I say, oh, they're comfortable. They fit. Why does that even matter? Why should I worry about the wearing down? Running shoes are expensive after all. So if you're a runner and you're consistently using those shoes that you're supposed to, you're going to accumulate miles and the material is going to wear out. Sometimes the stability of the shoe doesn't necessarily hold your foot anymore or the materials change. You need to get a new pair of shoes. So definitely new pairs of shoes compared to the ones that have accumulated miles, there's a big difference. So let's say, for instance, you are flat-footed. And you've got these brand new, beautiful running shoes and you don't have inserts. So you don't have a way to stop that whole drop of your foot or inward movement of your foot. Over time, your shoe is going to now look like your foot and it's not necessarily going to help you anymore. So that's the way that you know, okay, I need to either see a podiatrist to correct the way I'm walking or running so that I don't get things like corns or calluses, pressure wounds, blisters, and I can actually not change the shape of my shoe. And I'm running properly and I'm running happily without foot pain and things like that. We think of the person with diabetes who's deliberately engaging in structured physical movement as part of their management program. These are not necessarily people who have existing foot problems, but we would prefer them not to develop foot problems. So well-fitted footwear is a big deal. Inspecting your feet every day, I'm sure, is something that people with diabetes need to get used to, much like having the annual eye checkup. How often, Michael, have we seen over the years, way down the line, too little, too late, and we're talking about salvage treatment at that point in time, needing laser for the eye, needing kidney treatments. I come back to the idea that the best bang for our buck for complication prevention is utilizing the podiatry service. We're in a new world where digital means of communication are becoming ever more important. And what I see in you is someone who's highly passionate about the work you do, and you're almost making up for the deficiencies in policy and in training of podiatrists by actively engaging with digital means of communication to expand your reach. 
Tell us a little bit more about that and how we as healthcare practitioners can make use of these technologies safely, ethically, to expand our reach to compensate for policy deficiencies. Social media nowadays can be a very powerful tool, but with a healthcare professional utilizing it, you need to also remember that there are rules when utilizing such platforms. Because you can't go on social media and say, you know what, I'm the best, for instance, best podiatrist in the world, come visit me because I'm just going to prevent you from ever getting an amputation. And that's wrong because no one can say that legally. And honestly, if you are going to start saying that to people, their expectations are going to be very, very high and you mess up. And then you have a lawsuit on your hands. Mm. So with me, especially having my social media platforms, I utilize it in an educational content. I basically educate people on podiatry itself because in my experience, not a lot of people know about podiatry, not a lot of people know what we do. So I try and utilize my platforms on an educational basis, but then also to highlight what a podiatrist does, how to identify symptoms of a condition. For instance, plantar fasciitis. A lot of people don't necessarily know that we actually treat that. So identifying symptoms can help relate with a person and they can say, oh, okay, yes, I'm dealing with that, but I'm just going to my general practitioner because I didn't know that a podiatrist could actually help. But people utilizing social media need to be very, very careful of how you speak to people because, for instance, diabetes is a very sensitive topic. Sometimes people are scared of getting ulcers. They're scared of amputations. And then now you share a video and you're like, if you have a corn, you're going to get an amputation. And that's just not correct. And it's going to scare the person watching the video. And it's just going to cause unnecessary problems. So your approach to your videos, your approach to your social media platforms needs to be very different. And you need to know what you're going to say and how you're going to say it so that when you speak to someone on the other side, they're not being scared, they're being educated, but in a proper manner. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing I see that you're quite passionate about, and you don't see it often amongst healthcare professionals, but you say you are very keen on managing a medical practice well. Tell us about how that can add to your client experience and help them to negotiate the daily burden of self-management better. So when it comes to practice management, I feel like personally, if I have to go to anybody in the medical field, and I feel like that person is very welcoming and doesn't judge me for what I have and almost like takes a moment to listen to what my problem is, I would feel a lot more comfortable with that medical practitioner because I feel like, okay, you understand my problem. You're not just looking at me for, okay, I have a toothache or whatever. Mm -hmm. You're understanding me as a person and how this problem is now impacting my life and how annoying it is to have this toothache so you need to sort it out so that I can do my job or whatever. So having a medical practice that is very welcoming and you as the medical practitioner need to be understanding of who you're actually seeing. These people are not coming to you for fun. They're actually coming to you because they have a problem and you need to be on the receiving side to say, okay, you know what? Let's understand you as a person, understand your problem and then build a relationship. Mm. Say, okay, if you need anything, let me know all of that stuff. So building a relationship with your patients on a professional level can actually help with the whole. I think that answers your question. I think it does because we are looking at engaging healthcare practitioners who we assume have absolutely thorough knowledge and skills of their craft. 
But we spend a lot of time in our educational programs teaching this to healthcare professionals. It's the attitudes and behaviors that count equally much. So you do want to feel non-judged and all of those attributes that you had spoken about and your web pages are immaculate, your social media pages are immaculate, your practice web pages are really thorough from education point of view, which ultimately, if we take a look at broad outcomes, can only do well. And as Michael said, it's not just the foot, ultimately it's the entire nation which benefits because if you take somebody, God forbid, out of their professional environment, having had an amputation, it's an early grave for that person, unfortunately, and the whole family suffer economically, assuming the breadwinner was involved education first and foremost. And for people listening, it would be great if you can share your experiences with podiatry care you've received over the years and how you've received favorable outcomes. And for people who look after people with diabetes, it would also be great to hear from you at our regular email. That's podcast at cdediabetes.coza. Michael, we should take a short break now to introduce our uh, weekly diabetes advocacy message. Again, in keeping with the theme of education, let's take a moment to listen to them. The University of Pretoria Diabetes Research Centre, in collaboration with the Diabetes Alliance in South Africa, cordially invite you to attend the 2023 Diabetes Summit. The summit will be taking place on the 15th of November 2023, and you can either attend in person at the Future Africa Campus University of Pretoria or virtually. One of the things we feel really passionately about is ensuring that people with lived experience are properly represented at the 2023 Diabetes Summit. Each of the panels are moderated by a diabetes advocate with lived experience. There are five panels on awareness and prevention, education, access to care, surveillance, research and innovation, as well as the big debate. These will be moderated by Sally Hendricks, Helga Neft, Sia Bongo Kwanele Zuma, Bridget McNulty, Kirsten de Klaak and Amanda Mashego. For more information and to register for the summit, please visit diabetesadvocacy.org.za and click on Diabetes Conferences. Thank you so much to Kirsten from SA Diabetes Advocacy. And as usual, we are 100% behind your efforts. And we're so pleased to see how advocacy in South Africa is progressing. Alicia, if you had to fast forward 10 years from now, we have this tsunami of new drugs available for diabetes. Everybody's talking about weight loss treatments, weight loss injections. Where's podiatry heading, particularly with a focus on diabetes here and around the world over the next couple of years? Well, I really hope there is more podiatry jobs in a public setting in South Africa, because currently in KZN, if I'm not mistaken, we only have one podiatrist in a public setting, which is very, very scary to a population of more than, what, 12 million people? We really need to see more creation of jobs in a public setting, more podiatrists in KZN, where I am. But in the next 10 years, I just hope that podiatry has expanded. I'm a part of the Podiatry Association and we have big goals and big dreams to move podiatry forward and to expand our reach and to help as many people as we can. But as a podiatrist in KZN, I really hope to see more podiatry posts in a public setting so that we can help more people in the public setting. Because I've seen a lot of people, especially when we were in university, how many people, our clinics in public hospitals, did we help? And now in KZN, coming out of university and opening up a private practice because there were no public jobs available, we can't help as many people as we can because they can't necessarily afford the care or they can't get to us. Sorry, just to stop you there. Yes. You said there were no public podiatry positions available. Yep. In northern KZN, there's nothing. That is 
mind-blowing. Yeah. And, you know, we're trying our best to get in touch with the Department of Health and try and change things around and maybe do some more research. But hopefully something changes because there's a lot of people that need our care in a public setting that can't get it now because they don't have anywhere to go. And if they do see someone in a private setting, there's only so much we could do in a private setting compared to public hospitals for these people. Michael, you and I have heard a lot on our podcasts. I think this is the first time you and I have been absolutely speechless. Absolutely. We've been in awe of people who've gone 50, 60 years with their diabetes, have run and cycled hundreds of miles worth, but just that statistic, which is an inexpensive option to fill for the outcomes that are so desirable, I'm truly speechless. I agree, Stan. And we've always committed to tell things as they are on the show. And I'd like to say publicly to our policymakers, this is not good enough. 100%. It's absolutely unacceptable. And our partners in advocacy, I think this is something we need to take up as a matter of urgency. Firstly, the very low numbers we know of healthcare practitioners being trained in South Africa, whether that be doctors, nurses, podiatrists, and so on. We are deficient in all disciplines, but especially in the very important profession of podiatry and the fact that we don't even have posts available for these highly specialized people who can preventatively change the outcome of diabetes in South Africa. And when we consider, and again, this is an over-mentioned statistic, but it is what it is. Diabetes is the number one killer of South African women and the number two leading cause of death overall. Until we change those statistics, our advocacy is not going to change. <laughs> as, you, as you said, Stan, speechless. I just blew your mind. For sure. But it's really frightening. Yeah. It's bad enough that we are not training enough people, but the fact that we are not putting in people who can actually prevent the vast number of amputations that I know happen in KZN. It's been published in South African medical journals. It can't carry on. My 10-year goal would be to get more podiatry posts. So hopefully we find people that want to listen and want to understand why podiatrists need to be involved in public health care so that we can assist with amputation prevention. Michael, as we come to the end of the podcast, always nice to spend some time just thinking of nostalgia. Remember watching TV in the 1980s with the A-team and certainly podiatry fits well into that A-team model. And I think that intro, forgive me if I'm wrong, uh, no TV expert, it kind of said if you have a problem and if no one else can help, then you're going to call the A-team. And I think that holds true with podiatry at this point in time. We need to uphold and celebrate this profession. We've said the same for nurse specialists, diabetes nurse educators. We've said the same for the psychology teams involved. We've said the same for everybody who's involved who isn't necessarily a medical doctor that their rightful place of ownership in their diabetes team is top tier in the A-team with the doctor alongside the doctor. Coming back to our training for next week's forum is that interprofessional learning is together with and the people who make up that broader team, not separately from, but within the same domain. So for people out there with diabetes and people who look after somebody with diabetes, do not forget podiatry visits are at least an annual mandated process that needs to be undertaken. I would obsess and say, let your feet be examined at every single interaction you can be. If there are complications, get to a podiatrist timelessly. They are few and far between. They are clearly a highly skilled group of people in South Africa. They've mm. gone through intensive clinical training. They are registered healthcare professionals who Alicia has told us and her websites tell us we know it to be true. They don't just cut toenails. Sure. I think that's a very, very important message and we need to change the narrative around that. And I think that's the message I want to leave our listeners with this week. And as the CD Academy, we commit to holding up the profession of podiatry as an integral part of the diabetes team. And together with our advocacy partners, we aim to change what's happening on the ground.
So thank you for being with us, Alicia. We really have appreciated your time. Thank you so much. I just want to leave you with a nice message to say that, you know what, even if someone has to say podiatrists cut toenails and that's such a boring aspect of their job, if you have something wrong with your nails <laughs> and a podiatrist can help you feel better, it really brightens up your day. So I take pride in helping people with their toenail problems. Absolutely. If something's wrong with your feet, nothing goes right in your life. Yeah. So thank you for your service to our communities throughout South Africa and worldwide as podiatrists. We recognize and celebrate your integral role and we wish you the best and we hope to change things in the future. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Great stuff. Listeners, thank you for joining us on this 35th episode of Not Artificially Sweetened. Remember, you can listen to this free service on the downloadable platforms of Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Give us a like, share widely on your social media, and don't forget to send those questions, comments, and thoughts to podcast at cdediabetes.coza. From me, Stan Landau, till next week, have a blessed week and good health. And I second that, Stan. Have a wonderful, blessed week. Until we meet again, over and out. Thank you for joining us on Not Artificially Sweetened, where we aim to build bridges of insight and understanding between people with diabetes and the health professionals that facilitate their care. Anything we discuss is for your reflection, education, personal growth and entertainment only. You join this podcast at your own risk, and we are not responsible for any omissions, errors or unwanted medical outcomes. Please note the following important specific disclaimers. For people with diabetes, the health professionals on this podcast are not your personal caregivers. Always discuss any new information with your diabetes team before acting on any aspect of it. The views and opinions discussed are those of the hosts only and do not represent those of any other entity. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you encounter in this session. Anything you learn or experience here cannot substitute for personalized professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. For health professionals working in diabetes, always discuss any new information with your clinical team before acting on any aspect of it. You are personally accountable and liable for any choices made in a clinical setting according to your level of training and legal scope of practice. Any information or insights gained here must be used with your professional discretion and with the developing base of clinical evidence, local and organizational laws, regulations, guidelines and protocols. Good luck with your diabetes care missions. Till next time. And it's a wrap. Yay!